When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Hmm. Well, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. In case you didn't know, it's Easter. And Easter, when I worked in a different church several years ago, I always dreaded Easter because I knew <clears throat> this, was the, this was the sermon that the pastor was like, if I hadn't done well on all the other sermons throughout all the year, I'm going to really knock it out of the park on this one. And by knock it out of the park, I think he meant preach really long. Don't worry. <laughs> so there's always kind of a funny expectation that on Easter, you're going to do one of three things. You're going to prove something to someone, because, you know, Easter is usually a time when people who may not believe they go to church, they're with family, yada, yada, yada. So you're going to prove something to someone. Two, you're going to wow people. Or three, you're going to hit those three points that you have been talking about all year long. Um, don't worry. I'm not that witty. I'm not that smart. So I'm not going to do that. But I am so excited. I hope that your Lent was meaningful, and I hope that you were able to enter in in a particular way, in a way that you felt the sting of being without something, or you felt the burden of doing something more. I hope Holy Week was different for you. I know sitting in my office preparing for these services, my, on Thursday my shoulders just started to hurt, and Friday, and I thought, man, we need to get a new pillow. I need one of those orthopedic pillows like my grandma has. Maybe I can use one of those. But I realized, I think there's just, there's just a weight. And part of it is because I'm an achiever. I want to surpass everybody's expectations, you know, all, yada, yada, all that stuff. But there is a weight that we feel when we enter into a meaningful meditation upon these last days of Jesus. That we feel the weight of his glory. That Hebrew word, that Chabad, his glory. We feel that. And so I hope that today, Easter, isn't just another Easter for you. I hope that maybe, maybe you participated here or somewhere else at, at Maundy Thursday, hearing about Jesus instituting his supper in remembrance of him, that, and how St. Paul said, and whenever you eat it or drink it, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Maybe you washed someone's feet or had your feet washed even though you didn't want to. Or maybe seeing the altar stripped, everything taken away, banners, candles, cross, vestments, seeing it be completely barren spoke volumes to you that these next few days were going to be rough. Or maybe a Good Friday, walking slowly 
methodically through the stations of the cross, through the narrative of Jesus' passion and death. The way that he willingly subjected himself. The, my boys and I were watching The Passion of the Christ Friday night, and I'm so glad they wanted to watch it because I did not want to watch it. I did not want to see the terrible images. But we watched it. And in that portrayal, Jesus could have died at any time. He could have died when he was getting scourged. He could have died on the way of the cross going up to Golgotha. And he still would have died. And I would assume we'd all still be saved by his sacrificial death. But his father's plan was that he die in a specific way. And really one of the most vile, torturous ways that anyone could die in history. And so not only did Jesus express his love for us in dying for us, he expresses his immense love for us and for the entire world, the entire created order, and dying for us in a very specific way, in complete and to total obedience to the Father. His Father said, this is how you will be lifted up. This is how you will will glorify me. And Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done, O Father, O Abba. Then on Saturday, Saturday was the Sabbath, as we read in Mark 16. What do good Jews do on Saturday? Well, they rest. They observe Sabbath. But let me tell you, when the sun goes down on Saturday, I was in Jerusalem recently, when the sun goes down on Saturday, man, it's like discotheque time. People come out in droves. They go about their business. It's kind of a party because there's been a sort of fast from activity. And now the feast begins. And we see how these women, still mourning, completely devoted to their Lord Jesus. One of them was his mother. The other one was Mary Magdalene. The other one, Salome. And in their pious devotion to Jesus, when the Sabbath is, Sabbath is over, that means that Saturday night, they go and they buy spices. They want to go and anoint their Lord, their friend, their rabbi, this one that they watched die, this cruel, vile death, the cruel, vile death of a criminal. And when they arrive the next morning, Sunday morning, the first day of the week, all the gospel writers take pains to say, they discover something. Now, I do have three points. And my three points all relate to this. Because of the resurrection, fill in the blank. Okay? Because of the resurrection. Now, put yourself in the place of the women. And, and remember that there, these are women that are seeing the empty tomb first. If Christianity was invented or made up, people in the ancient world knew better than to have a woman as a primary witness. In fact, in Judaism of the day, a woman was not eligible to be a witness. But I think there's something really special in that, in that God chooses these women to be the first people to see the empty tomb. Because of the resurrection we can move, and these women in the early church would move from fear 
to faith. Look at verse 8. If you've got your bulletin, it's on page something. If you have a Bible, Mark 16, page 3 and 4. Mark 16, verse 8. Now Mark does this differently than all the other gospel writers. He says this, And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And that's the end of Mark's original gospel. There's some later on added things on that aren't in contradiction with anything, but they're just not in the earliest manuscripts. So Mark ends his gospel, this message of hope and salvation, this message that death is dead and that all can have eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord with the word afraid. The women go to the empty tomb. First of all, they think to themselves, who's going to roll the stone away? It's a huge stone. We've got to find somebody to roll the stone away. When they get there, the stone's rolled away. They go in, they see a guy dressed in white. Who's an angel? In the New Testament color scheme, (laughs) think about decorating your house. The way that the New Testament is decorated with colors is that white is always an image of something heavenly. Something of the kingdom of God. It's either in an apocalyptic writing, like in the book of Revelation, where John sees into heaven, something's uncovered, that's what apocalypse means. Or it's in something eschatological, meaning it's, it's writing about the end times. What, what will happen in the end? How God's kingdom is breaking in. And so this angel is clothed in white. And what does the angel have to tell the women? Oh, whoa, whoa, it's, it's okay, it's okay. Don't be alarmed. Verse 6, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid them. Goes on. But what are the women precisely? They're alarmed. They're freaking out. Because what has happened? Something totally divine has happened. They were not expecting this. Their rabbi who taught them. Their friend whom they served. They cooked meals for him. They helped provide for his needs. They walked along all around Galilee, all around the Sea of Galilee. As Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God is coming. As he proclaimed the good news, the gospel of God, St. Mark calls it. They're expecting to see him resting, peaceful, and sleep. But instead he's gone. And they're alarmed. And... They're so terrified that Mark ends his gospel with the word, and they were afraid. Whenever humans, we're all humans here, whenever humans encounter the divine, there is a response of fear. Psalm 147, 11, that the Lord delights in those who fear him. Now, Yes, it means reverence. And yes, it means respect. But let me tell you, it is good and right to fear God because we cannot, A, control Him. B, we cannot always understand Him. And C, He is so much higher and so further above than we are. His wisdom exceeds our wisdom. It's beyond our understanding, St. Paul would write to the Romans. So there is a mark of fear. But they move from that place of terror. They're literally terrified. 
And because it's, it's, it seized them, they flee, they run. But they move from fear and terror to realizing that no, judgment isn't near to them in the sense that they thought because they were pious Jews. And there's, the angel says resurrection, they think, okay, it's going down. You know, get back to my rapture bunker. But as pious Jews, expecting the resurrection, they would have been terrified that this is the end. But they move from fear to faith. The whole, in fact, the whole community of Jesus moves from fear to faith. And you and I, maybe the first time that you encountered the living God, the first time that you understood that, whoa, I... I don't really understand all there is to understand about Jesus. I see the cross. I'm familiar with it. I'm not really sure why, but I need to receive Him. There's something of an awe and a wonder and a fear. But God doesn't ask us to stay there. He moves us from fear to faith. We think about what St. Paul wrote in Romans 8. He's speaking in the context of baptism, actually, which is, for Paul, a baptism into the death of Christ and into his resurrection. There's a communion sort of thing happening, a participation, a joining with Christ, a very instrumental sort of language. And two, a couple chapters later, Paul will say, and you, you haven't received the spirit of fear that would cause you to fall back into slavery. So, though when we encounter the living God, and to be sure, when we see Him face to face, our very beings will be rattled. But we don't abide in a spirit of fear. But what does He say? Rather than receiving a spirit of fear that causes us to fall back into slavery, we have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. And then Paul uses this curious word for God the Father. It's the same word that Jesus would use on the cross when he says, Father, Abba, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Paul says, the spirit of adoption in you is the Holy Spirit, and by that spirit you cry, Abba, Father. Because Jesus is resurrected from the dead, we move from fear to faith, and we can call God our Father. It's fascinating because as we become St. Bartholomew's, we're all Saints East Dallas right now, FYI, as we transition to becoming our own church, taking ownership of our own budget, our own leadership, all that kind of stuff, parts of the vision that we focused on is, what does it mean to be fully human? Jesus gives us a picture of that full humanity. And this is the invitation to move from fear to faith and to abide with our Abba Father, living in the freedom of the children of God. So because of the resurrection, faith becomes fear. Secondly, because of the re resurrection, the denier becomes the preacher. Thursday night, we remembered how Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, even Judas, the one who would betray him. And when he got to Peter... Peter emphatically said, oh, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet, never. And Jesus says, well, if you don't 
if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then in, in wonderful Peter fashion, he says, oh, well, then not only my feet, but my head, my hands, my head, you know, etc. And Jesus says, Peter, you, you, you still don't get it, but that's okay. I love you anyway. But Peter, whom the Lord loved so greatly, whose feet would be washed by the same one who would go to the cross for him, he, because of the resurrection, goes from the one who denied Jesus three times to the one who would preach the gospel with power, with eloquence, with beauty. Look at your bulletin on page 2. Acts chapter 10 is an example of Peter's preaching. Acts chapter 10, Peter was minding his own business in a, a coastal city called Joppa in Israel at Simon the Tanner's house when all of a sudden he has a vision. And I'll fast forward through, but he, God tells him in a vision to go preach to this man Cornelius' house up in Caesarea, up the coast. Now, Cornelius is not a Jew. He's a Gentile, but he fears God. And God says, because of your alms and your prayers, they've been heard. You know, I'm going to send somebody to preach to you. So Peter preaches. Now, just a short time before, a few weeks before, Peter had sworn and cursed someone, saying, I do not know Jesus of Nazareth. He had fallen into the pit of apostasy. He had fallen into the trap that you and I can fall into so often of denying that we know the Lord. But because of the resurrection, because Jesus said, or excuse me, the angel said to the disciples, look at verse 7 in Mark 16. The angels tell, tell the women, but go, women, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. What do you think that did for Peter? Go, tell his disciples and Peter. Do you think he felt singled out like, oh, am I not a disciple now? I guarantee he did not feel worthy to be a disciple now. What I think St. Mark is telling us and what Jesus is telling us is that Jesus wants to restore Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter that I'm going to Galilee. You see, whenever Jesus says, guys, I'm going to be delivered over to death, Peter says, I'll go with you wherever you go, even unto death. And Jesus says, really, Peter? I tell you truly that before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And, and in the next sentence, Jesus says, but I will go before you all into Galilee after I'm raised up. So knowing of his denial in the future and in the past, Jesus reassures Peter. Peter goes from being the denier to being the preacher, to being a guy who threw it all away in order to preserve his reputation, his life. Who knows what was going through his mind? But he goes from that because of God's goodness, because of the resurrection, and frankly, because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Beginning on the, beginning on the day of Pentecost, Peter began to live into his identity as the rock on whom Christ would build his church. Now, Friday, 
in our Good Friday service, as, we, as Sean was singing Peter's Lament, the words struck me so because I realized that I so often am like Peter. Maybe not if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, aren't you that priest from All Saints East Dallas or St. Bart's? Hey, aren't you? It's not that I would deny Jesus that way, but it's, it's in the really little ways that only Jesus knows about. See, in Lent, I learned a lot about myself. That's what happened for me when I turned down the volume and made space for God to speak to me. Instead of him like, you know, pouring on me these great revelations, mostly it was just seeing how uh, unself-aware I am, how terrible I can be to those closest to me. And I realized that, oh my gosh, every time I go back, I regress to these old patterns. It's like Peter who got to walk on water, going and then denying Christ. Friends, because of the resurrection, you and I go from being the deniers to being preachers, proclaimers. doesn't mean you're going to go be a preacher for your job, but everything that you do should preach the gospel. It can preach the gospel. Let me say that, if we'll allow it. If only we'll give ourselves to God. If only we'll realize the power of the resurrection, that it totally reorients our lives. It totally reorients creation. It saves us. So again, the resurrection communicates to us what it is to be fully human. We're not living in the fullness of our humanity if we're denying Jesus. Because at the depth of our being, all, all the cells of our bodies know that Jesus Christ is Lord. But when we're proclaiming that, we're living into the fullness of our humanity. And lastly, because of the resurrection, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. Jesus, the angel, tells them to go back to Galilee. What was Galilee? Well, it was a place that we remember was not known for its observance of the law. So all the Jews in Galilee were kind of flunkies. But also, it was the place where Jesus went to call his disciples. You see, Galilee was full of people who were overlooked and forgotten. It wasn't a place of great power, of great influence. It wasn't a great place of political prowess. It was the forgotten hinterlands. And that's precisely where Jesus went to call his disciples. Peter and Andrew and James and John and Bartholomew. Galilee was very normal, very ordinary. But Jesus' instructions are to go to Galilee to what? To meet with him. This ordinary place off the center of the map is going to become for the disciples because of the resurrection a place of extraordinary power. It's the place where Jesus would restore Peter three times. Do you love me, Peter? You know, Lord, I do. It's the place where Jesus would eat with them on the side of the lake. It is the place of encounter, the place of teaching. Now they'd go back to Jerusalem for the big feast of Pentecost. There the Holy Spirit would fall. 
There the preaching would begin. There the birth of the church would be. But the ordinary Galilee becomes, because of the resurrection, the extraordinary place of encounter. But the disciples don't know that unless the angel tells them. That's where they're going to go to see Jesus. And friends, these ordinary Israelites, these God-fearing Jews who walked with Jesus for three years, who learned His commandments and who fell forward and backwards, became the men and the women who would lead the church of God in those early days. They're the ones whose lifestyles became so attractive because writers would say they cared not only for their sick, but the pagan or the non-Christian sick as well. They were willing to preach Christ in the face of persecution. They were willing even to give their very own lives for the sake of the gospel. These ordinary people, because of the resurrection, because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, became extraordinary. People who gave their lives in extraordinary ways for the gift of God, that others might know that same gift, that others might move from fear to faith, and that those who had moved from fear to faith would move from denying Him to proclaiming and preaching Him, and that others might go from ordinary to extraordinary. I'm telling you all of this to tell you that because of the resurrection, we can be fully human. Death is conquered. The fear of death no longer has a claim on us. Do we still feel its sting? Absolutely. In those days following the resurrection, the, Jesus, or the disciples had much to learn. They still died. But they're alive with our Lord. And friends, let me tell you, I pray, I hope that this Easter, this season of 50 days, mind you, it's just not a one-day party. It's a 50-day party. We fasted for about 40 days. We're going to party for 50. Make sure that you write that down. We fasted for 40. We're going to party for 50. I pray this Easter totally, totally reorients the way that you see life that you see because of the resurrection, you have power in Christ and in the Holy Spirit poured out on you from your Abba Father to be fully human. Let us pray. God, we, we stumble and we fall and we fail repeatedly, but you love us. And Lord, you shed abroad your love in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, your act of love is not in vain because we give to you ourselves, our souls, our bodies this Easter day. And for the next great 50 days, Lord, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Thank you that you are the firstborn from the dead and you are bringing us with you. Pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.